0: residential areas snack nation is a two-sided marketplace where we introduce artisanal and emerging uh,
1: brands mainly snack brands to consumers at key moments where they're most
0: engaged hi i'm derek and this is behind the wheel a show dedicated to highlighting the accomplishments of ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things within their communities check us out on spotify itunes or wherever you find your podcasts this portion of the Behind the Wheel podcast is sponsored by Amazon best-selling author of Retail Pride. He's the founder of Take Pride today. He's recognized as being one of the top 100 global retail influencers for 2021, Mr. Ron Thurston. Ron is the real deal. But I tell you, Ron loves retail and he's proud of it. He's led some retail teams for some of America's most prominent brands. We're talking Bonobos, Intimix, St. Lauren, the list goes on and on. But he didn't write this book for brands. He wrote this book to help celebrate your accidental career. I had an opportunity to sit down with Ron. He is the real deal. He he loves leading teams and pouring into the lives of individuals. So when you pick up his book, if you haven't already done so, you can go to Amazon to pick up his book. It's chock full of nuts and nuggets to help you navigate your career in retail or wherever you might be. That's tilted up towards you and we're good to go. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Baby Ox Baby O D Rock D Livingstone. Because some reason you gotta have thirty-five, forty aliases. So we are here today in Peralta Design. I had the pleasure of coming here with one of my partners in commerce, and I was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> because when I tell you you see, I talk you all know I talk to folks about podcast and you should have a podcast, and actually seeing someone without having to say it—it's just like okay,
1: he gets he it. He gets it.
0: Okay, so Ramon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started here in, in this journey in um, design? Uh, yeah, take it away, and I'll yeah, shut man. up. Yeah, well, I don't know how much time we have, so maybe we'll do
1: this in parts. But um, I'll, I'll be as brief as I can and try to. Give you the what I think are the meaningful parts. Uh, So, I've always had uh, the awareness to know I had a gift for art. You know, from a very young age, um, my parents encouraged it. They bought me crayons and coloring books and things like that. And and even as early as second grade, I remember um, my teacher asking me to draw something for her in front of the class and, and seeing the reaction of the class and the teachers looking at the artwork. Then I got brought back that summer. To, to paint murals in the cafeteria, and I was in you know second grade, third grade, so I felt special, mm-hmm. you know, and I've carried that with me uh, uh, throughout life. Um, there was a pivotal point uh, that where my life could have gone in a completely different way, and, 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 and while we were pre gaming, you asked me why am I going to go speak to these um, these young men of color after this, which is my next appointment, and. I made a promise at the age of seventeen that if I ever was asked to speak to young people, that I would sit, that I would never turn it down. Why? Um, I almost threw my entire life away the summer after I, I graduated high school. Um, I had already been accepted to, to University of Bridgeport. Mm-hmm. Um, I was my friends were already calling me college boy, and I, I grew up in the hood in the south side of Providence and. The summer that I graduated this college prep high school that I was fortunate enough to attend, um, I was running my dad's garage. My dad was an entrepreneur, probably the first one to inspire me, um, fixing cars. I used to work there. I used to tow cars, do brake jobs, oil changes, you know, all throughout my teenage years. And this particular summer, my dad was out of the country burying my grandmother in the DR, and I received a phone call from my girlfriend mm-hmm who was working at a pizza place in, let's just say, an affluent part of town, and she was in distress, and so, of course, I'm 17, I'm running the shop, it's the middle of the summer, ego's flared up already, and I go to the the pizza place, and I confront this group of men that were harassing her. And what turned out to me, uh, it turned out to become a a racially motivated attack, Mm -hmm. right? So these four guys called me a spick, pushed me outside, proceeded to jump me. One of them knocked me out. And uh, when I came to, um, all I wanted to do was get revenge. Mm -hmm. And I got my revenge. But that revenge got me facing some serious charges at the age of 17, and the day that i went to court uh, my uh, my attorney who's my dad's friend said to me you have you, you have a 50/50 shot he, she, he said to me if it's this woman a judge she hates minorities and she's she's going to put you away if it's this other judge he's my boy mm-hmm. i'll talk to him i'll let him know you're a good kid you're going to college you know this was just you know a mistake and when we got there, he looked in to the court, mm-hmm. and he came back out, and he looked at me, and he said, "Merry Christmas," and it was his friend. And they've they've seemed to talk to him for about twenty minutes or so. And and uh, when I got in there, um, I was I was fortunate and blessed to be given six months probation and allowed to cross state lines and go to go to University of Bridgeport. And when I turned eighteen, which was only going to be another eight months. My record was white clean, um, because at the time, uh, they they were charging me as a minor. Mm -hmm. And I I made a promise to myself and to God at that young age uh, to never squander the second chance that I'd been given, but also to always, always say yes if I was ever asked to speak to young people about the choices they make and how they affect their lives. I went on to go to University of Bridgeport. I met the, the brothers of Alpha Phi Alpha, mm-hmm. which totally changed my life. I, I've been an active member for 33 years. You um, look about 35. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I, I think. I think. Thank uh, you. Thank you. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm 51. Mm-hmm. Um, I earned every every year, um, but I, I will say that um, the path that I went on from there, uh, I went out to meet my wife in college. My daughter was born in college. I was another kind of uh, blessing and, and made life a little bit more challenging for us. But it motivated us. I, I, my theme has been adversity can propel us forward. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think, oh, man, something bad happens to me. It's going to set me back. Yeah, It can propel you forward. It's, it depends on how you look at it. You know, and, and it's all perspective. Einstein says, you know, we could either think that the universe is working for us or that it's working against us the universe is doing the same exact thing it's how do we look at it yeah and and uh, i've chosen throughout my life to to um to take these setbacks as as uh, opportunities to propel myself forward fast forward to my professional career um yes i was on the team behind priceline.com that's part of my story um
0: he says, "On the team, you were the senior art director,
1: right?" I well, I was. It was a small team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing very early web design, very early e-commerce ads, banners, mm-hmm. animated banners, gifts, you know, things like that. And I did a lot of the newspaper ads for them. Back then, it was um, name your own price. And I had I had arrived there because I had I had spent some time in corporate America and. Just realize how awful that environment can be, how toxic it can be. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people that were leaving the company that I was at were ending up working for this eccentric, you know, billionaire named Jay Walker, who was inventing this new way to travel. And those people brought me over there. And and any, I guess in any industry, it's incestuous. If you know good people, you pull them in. Whether it's music or whether it's creative, so they brought me in. And Because I had had such a bad experience in corporate, I was determined that I was going to be on my own. I was going to go there as a consultant. And so I say that because when Priceline went public, a lot of people became instant millionaires. Mm -hmm. You know, IPO'd, people had shares and options and so forth. And I didn't really capitalize off that because I wasn't a full-time employee. So instead, what I decided to do was try to catch lightning in a bottle again. And I stayed there working with Jay Walker at Walker Digital now, mm-hmm. and not Priceline. Priceline moved to Norwalk, where it still is. I was in Stanford.
0: There's a Connecticut Boulevard? Yeah, there. Connecticut Ave, I think it is. Okay.
1: Uh, and so now I am uh, working for this dream that I am going to be part of the next big thing. And, and this was from the time period of 1998 up to 2008, just grinding. We were churning out maybe two, three companies a week, a mm. week, because it turned out that this Priceline idea was just one patent that Jay Walker owned. He had a portfolio of over 400 patents. Mm. So we would literally come to work, pick a patent, and try to turn it into a business. And, and my job was to make it look like it was already out there. And then, he, then Jay would present this to investors, and people would either buy the company or invest in it or whatever, or it might turn into something different. Mm-hmm. So this went on for years, and that's really where I learned how to launch brands, because we were launching brands constantly.
0: This portion of the Behind the Wheel Podcast is brought to you by the folks at the Creative Print Workshop. Yo, these folks I tell you, you see the grit shirts, you've seen the grind shirts. I did a 30 day grind social media experiment and I wore that shirt for 30 days yo. And I washed it, obviously I washed it, but the care and the, the texture the print, the ink, everything held up. So I am very impressed. Yo, For real, for real. When I tell you that the ink on the shirt held up, the colors of the shirt held up, I was so impressed. I contacted the manufacturer that makes the shirts. I contacted the Creative Print Shop and said, yo, man, I'm very impressed with your shirts. I'm happy, pleased. And so, yes, they are are a proud sponsor of the Behind the Wheel and how I'm building this podcast. Yo, they started in 2000, that's 11 years ago as a custom design company that drew custom designs on apparel with fabric paints. Yo, Brother Hazel has been in the printing and design industry for 20 years, yo. Over twenty years, I mean, when, when, you, when I tell you about the, the process, the care—it's one thing to say, you know, it's, it's a black-owned company, but the professionalism with which they handle your your order from Xanti, who is, you know, the office manager who's in customer service, always pleasant, always upbeat. Before you go to place your order yo there is a consultation you sit down with the ceo and founder the chief executive officer of everything brother hazel and man it is um from from the ordering process to review you can approve your orders online so if you're in need of design print garments yo they handle everything i'm getting some mugs some of the killer mugs i can't wait till they're coming yo Yeah, so to talk to a designer, give them a call at 443-842-3900. That number again is 443-842-3900. Yo, she's jogging on the block, all black, everything. The number again is 443-842-3900. Or you can email, if you've got a question, info at thecreativeprintshop.com. That's creative with a K, thecreativeprintshop.com
1: in 2008 the market crashed and uh i was part of the probably the first or second wave of layoffs at walker and uh, it was devastating to me because mm. um my daughter was there interning she had to help me pack my office you know and and i had been there for so long and i had been telling my family like this is going to take off. One of these things is going to take off. So I was living beyond my means. I was expecting a windfall. And when you work in Stanford, you're, you're, you're parking your Jetta next to Mercedes and Jaguars, and, and you want to be in that ambiance. And so my eyes were bigger than my stomach in those days, you know. And it was a really uh, harsh reality to, to have to accept that there wasn't going to be a windfall, and there wasn't going to be an invention that I was going to be a part of, and and fortunately, uh, Jay was generous enough to grace me with six-month severance, which became, I would say, the seed capital, unbeknownst to me, Mm -hmm. to what we have today for Paratha Design, and I started it in my my basement, and after commuting to Stanford for ten years, sometimes it would take you two hours to get down there. I would watch movies in my car when it was snowing and stuff like that. That's how long it took. But when you go from that to working from home, there there is a novelty in working from home. There is a novelty in putting on your pajamas and rolling downstairs and having your oatmeal. and You know, um, you know I had a little French bulldog with me. Like I could get used to that, right? And so I became complacent with that. Mm. If left to my own devices, I think, again... That would have been the essence of PD of what we have. Um, so, what changed it? It's a great question. So, um, I got a I got a referral um, from my old boss. There's a lesson there. Don't burn your bridges, even if you think it's unfair. I, I didn't burn that bridge, and he's all over my book now. And, and, and um, he gave me a referral. And this client was out of out of Dallas, Texas, and they were an IP law firm, and they needed a rebrand. So I took the job. I I, I was um, uh, being compensated well for it as I should, and, and and did excellent work for him as as I as I can. And then one day he said to me, "I'm coming up into I'm flying in to JFK. I'm going to come visit Jay in Stanford. I'd like to, if I have time, I'll come up and see your operation." <laughs> Wait, a Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> let me,
0: let me yeah. move the stuff out the basement. Yeah. Uh, so this must have been pre, um, this is like where, where, where you could rent a space. Well, and they, uh, it, so
1: prior to this happening, I had had some experience with Regis where I had been hired. Uh, I had partnered up with another smaller firm to go after a project for the city of Bridgeport. Our, we responded to an RFP. And, um, and we use a Regis space here in Shelter, okay. one of those pre-furnished offices. So I had that in the back of my mind. And I was like, light bulb goes off, that's what I got to do. I said, I can't meet this guy in Starbucks or anything. But now I got to go do it on my own. So I go to Regis, and I get the minimum package they have, right, which is like you can get a virtual mailbox or you can get, I said, I can't get that. Then they had the next level, which was like you can use the office five days a month. Mm For $200 a month And I was like "I'll, I'll take that I was like okay So Sign up for that The day comes I go in I practice My name His name With the receptionist Why would you have to practice your name? I just didn't want her I wanted him to feel the experience that I've been there Okay Right oh, 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 oh Okay yeah. not
0: you Okay I'm saying yeah, like, Why would you have to no. practice With the With, the, oh, with gotcha. her Yeah 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 She she's yeah. so so me from yes, Adam Yes yes right. Okay the host so, so she's not screwing up the game Right again. right So
1: Okay So I'm there I bring in my computer My pictures I hook up my office Like I've just been there And the whole day goes by, and this this, this gentleman never shows up. Mm. Gentleman calls me at like five thirty, and he says, um, "Hey, I'm still here. I'm in Stanford. I'm just not going to make it up there." And uh, do you go down? No, I he, he, no. It just ends up being. Uh, I guess we'll meet up some other time. And I said, "Great, fine, thank you." And then I said to myself, "Now what? Now I have this twelve hundred dollar bill that I didn't have before. Six months of two hundred dollars a month, and so I just started using it." And I would go there once a week, work from there. And, and to tell you the truth, the experience of driving, even though it was only 10 minutes from my home, but parking, walking into the building, getting mm-hmm. in the elevator, um, having a receptionist greet you, you know, um, all those little things, I started to feel like, hey, I. I could actually do this. This actually feels this. like I have a, an agency. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, if a client wanted to meet with me, I'd say, I'm totally booked this week, but I, I can meet <laughs> you Wednesday. And that would be the day I was at the office. And they would come in, and then before they came to my I had the smallest, tiniest office. Plus, I didn't know which office I was going to get. It's whatever they had available. Mm-hmm. So I would walk the, the person who came to see me through the entire place. I would say, here's the kitchen and you can get a coffee here and here's the waiting room and here's the receptionist and we got this other conference room here. I'd give them a complete tour of the place and then end up we end up back at my little tiny office. Mm-hmm. But the experience was that it planted the seed in the client and in my mind that I was running an agency and, and now I started bringing freelancers in and it got to the point where I didn't have enough room in my office for the freelancers. I would have two or three other guys in in this tiny office with me. And then I started renting their conference room. Mm -hmm. And their conference room was $90 an hour. That's what they charged. So imagine if you're in there for eight hours, that could be the rent someplace. Yeah. So that's what ended up happening next was um, I had a ribbon cutting there, by the way, with the chamber Mm. in, in this Regis space. So the optics of having my own place really were powerful. And and then um, I had a friend downtown, Shelton, who who had someone moving out who let me sublease an office from him, and we shared a conference room. And now I had my own conference room as long as I needed it. And it was $500 a month, so I went from 200 to $500. And that, and that was a leap. I remember even back then my wife saying, why are you going to go pay this, and you can just work for it? And it was just like entrepreneurs just... We just take leaps. We take leaps. Mm-hmm. We don't... Now, did
0: you know you were, were going to be an
1: entrepreneur? or? It, no, because I tried to find a job. You know, Once I got laid off, my instinct after being conditioned of going to work for somebody for 10 years, my instinct was I am not safe unless I'm working for someone. Like, that's mm-hmm. literally my thought process. Because my, my PD was always a side thing. Even when I was in college, I used to do flyers on the side, even when I worked for Jay, I, I did things. I did projects on the side. I even launched my own golf invention, Tasty Golf Tees. It's in the book as well. Tasty uh, Golf Tees. Yeah. So
0: it, 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 this was a lesson that <laughs> yes, uh, this yes. was going to be this thing, this, yeah. but it turned out to be a tchotchke. So there was this this huge lesson. <laughs> This portion of Behind the Wheel Podcast is proudly sponsored by the folks at Lenses Only. Yo, so I was in the market for a new pair of glasses. I had lost my frames. My prescription was long overdue, and now I'm a little down. Until one day, I walked into the Goodwill, and I found a pair of frames, same color, different shape. I'm up to trying something new. I call the manufacturer and say, hey, listen, do you think you can put lenses inside of these frames? Nah, son. It's out of circulation. So I get a pair of glasses. But... I go to almighty Google, cause I still like the frames. Hey, listen, do you think you can, is there a company out there that can put lenses into existing frames? And voila, what pops up, lenses only. So I give them a call, Pleasant Professional on the other end of the phone, even though I've got existing glasses, because of the service that I received on the other end of the phone, I figured I would give them a shot. I'd go out there and visit the location. Yo, I made the trip out to Bloomfield. They've got three locations in Connecticut with a fourth one coming online in Weathersfield. Ah, man, 50% off designer frames, but 80% of their business is with putting lenses into your existing frames. Most opticians won't risk it, but not at Lenses Only. They've got you covered. So how does it work? You go online to lensesonlyoptical.com, you plug in your prescription, you select your lens choices, you pay cha-ching, and they will send you a box with a return label so you can put your frame in them. And then, within a couple of weeks, voila, they're back at your home, and you're seeing clearly as ever. So, if you want regular frames, though, you've got to make the trip to Avon, Bloomfield, or Torrington. And, yes, as I said, a new location is coming online, in Wethersfield, on Silas-Dean Highway. Lensesonly.com. They've got Golf! D.R. Dr. And I'm saying, okay, golf fan. How do you? How does yeah, yeah. one become a golf fan? Um, like, was that a strategic move to become to get into golf? Or? No. Well, that corporate. The,
1: you know, there were some good things that came out of my corporate America experience, and one of them was, you know, I befriended a, a gentleman that was from down south, and he was a big avid golfer, and he got me into golf. You know, and I tried it, and I fell in love with it. You know, I don't know what it is about golf. There's a, addictive. Is it, it's addictive. It's addictive? It's and, addictive, mm. and I think it has all the makings and trappings of, of uh, I would say, of, of the entrepreneurial mindset of, of uh, chasing, chasing what could be and knowing it's in you. And it's golf has that ability to give and take, you know, and... You might hit a beautiful shot In one moment And feel like I got it in me And
0: then you, you, the rest of the run You're trying to chase it And you can't You know I guess the, the A buddy of mine Introduced me to it You know It's like with the, the other managers Were yeah. going out and, yeah. and it just seemed like Beer and drinking yeah. And Growing up in the hood It was like active sports yeah. I'm like okay So we're just driving around On this caddy right. Drinking right, Maybe exactly. it was just The introduction to it Right It was a
1: bad group That you were in And then some experience. people
0: Think of it as is, is, There's a strategy There's yeah. this mindset There's yes. this routine And it's detailed It's detailed
1: and it's, and it's a great It's a great metaphor of life Yeah Because uh, It's all mental you know, you you hit a bad shot, and you can let that sh- bad shot ruin the rest of your round, mm-hmm. or you can let it go and focus on your next shot. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's how life is. You know, like we we can hold on to things, but it doesn't change the
0: past. That was a bad shot; it, it, it happened already. You know. Okay, so this this so, golf tee, yeah, you, you saw it as as this was going to we thought we were gonna sail
1: into the sunset. With, mm-hmm. you know, and It was just one of my buddies from Walker, who was also an inventor. We were we were on a tea box, and and we were chewing our teas. We happened to be chewing our teas, you know, like toothpicks. And but the, they were nasty. They 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 were they had paint on them, whatever. And it, when it occurred to us, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great if you could actually just chew on these, and they and they were like toothpicks. They were clean, or they had some mint flavor. Mm-hmm. And, and we decided to, like, investigate it. And, and it turns out the inventor of a golf tee is a black man. You know, American okay. uh, dentist. And his name escapes me not, but I believe it's Grant. But black man, U.S. inventor of the golf tee. Um, but we decided to patent, and we did, we patented the world's first flavored golf tee. And that was a great um, experiment in launching a brand because we, we We uh, we sourced different types of wood and we Mm -hmm. tried to find wood that had health benefits and um, you know birch wood and things and you know you see the Jamaicans usually with a stick in their mouth and and I'm like there has to be something to this but it it, um, we ended up going with maple because it needed to be a wood that you could actually chew on and then stick in the ground and it has to maintain its like sturdiness Mm -hmm. to to go into the ground and we ended up. securing a million tees from China, because China was the only place we could get them uncoated. There was a big company here uh, in the States called Pride Golf, and they they, they kind of had a, a lock on it, mm-hmm. but their tees had like a polyurethane on them. We needed something that was like raw. And then we found a company in Maine where we would ship the tees, and then that company was already doing medical wood products. So it was okay. very turnkey. We never actually touched any product. We had we had the, the teas shipped there, and then when we got an order, they would dip them in flavors, you know, sterilize them in a pouch, and ship them to our to our customers. And and um, the, the the problem was, and and and, I, and my my old boss Jay knew I was up to it, but he he didn't have any worry that I was going to go anywhere with it because it was such a niche market. Mm-hmm. And you learn this that um, you know, if you have a pool. And then you go even smaller with the pool and smaller and smaller. It's like, who's actually buying it? There's not a lot of numbers there for a target audience. Yeah. So um, that was a big issue. And then the margins weren't there. It was costing us $2 a bag to make and then we were selling them for $4 a bag. Like, how much are people going to actually pay for golf tees yeah. to make them an, in, you know, an option? And so... so what was the biggest takeaway from that? Uh, I didn't listen to where my I didn't listen to my clients I didn't listen to where my sales were coming from I was very passionate about golf I still am I mm-hmm. practice almost every night get um, any better um, that's, a good question. <laughs> that's a good question some days yes some days no. some days yes some days but no but I'm sticking with it um, okay but uh, it, it, it's one of those things that gets my mind off of work okay for, for like a few moments and, and it's a good re- relief but um, yeah so I was saying, um, the lesson there was that I was super passionate about golf. And so we had this opportunity. See, this was right before social media came up, came about. But we had this opportunity to attend these trade shows. We'd already been to the golf show in Vegas, which is for all the PGA professionals. It cost us a fortune to attend, but we didn't. And then there were two shows going to happen in Florida orlando one was the asi show advertising mm-hmm. specialties industry where you get like mugs and, and chosh keys and squeeze balls and thumb drives and things like that keychains. and then there was the the pga merchandise show where everybody okay. goes to see what all the new golf gadgets are and so we couldn't attend both each one was going to run us about 10 grand to attend by the time we got our booth and samples and, and everything and flights and so, I was the marketing guy on the squad. So, we had an inventor, a marketing guy, a sales guy, and we had a lawyer. So, that was like four partners. And when you're building these small little companies, you're like the Avengers. Everybody has to bring something to the to, table. To the table. Yeah. So, so, they trusted me that, well, you're the marketing guy. You tell us which show we should go to. And I and I said, I said we're not a tchotchke. We're a golf product. We want to, We want this to be in the hands of you know, George Lopez and Tiger Woods and all, you know. So we go to the we go to the PGA show and after that we realize like we're out of money. And we realize like that the only people really calling us for, for to buy teas were from charity tournaments, special events, they wanted giveaways. Gotcha. They wanted something to put a logo on. They wanted a promotional item. So we missed the mark. And and I always wonder what would what would it have been had we gone to the ASI show? Um, we would have been in more catalogs. We would have, we probably would have done better, but it was a mistake. And had I looked at where our sales were coming from, mm-hmm. not where I wanted it to be, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs steer with a heavy hand. They they steer their companies where they think they want it to go. Yeah. Not where their customers customers are, mm-hmm. and 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 that kind of leads us to, you know, I know we're going to talk about the podcast, but a big part of that is not thinking about what what we want, but what our customers need.
0: Yeah, that's a good segue. So when you, when you were thinking of the uh, the podcast, who did you have in in mind, and who is the podcast geared toward?
1: So now? we, you know, for years I've been doing a workshop series called Brand U or Brand University uh, for Score. And scores like the uh, the society of retired corporate executives, and they, they give free business advice basically. So they they often ask me to volunteer, and I and I've been there. So much like the story with the young people, um, I'm also passionate about helping the displaced or the the, uh, the reluctant business owner that's mm-hmm. kind of trying to find his way. Because that's how I found myself being laid off, not being able to find a job, and then kind of being position to build my own brand and launch my own brand and so in those workshops i preach content marketing you know like one of the first things as as an entrepreneur that you you can do to differentiate yourself is position yourself as a subject matter expert in some capacity if Mm -hmm. you're if you're a chef then put out content to let people know you you know all about the best ingredients and the best wings and whatever you know um you're a realtor. You should be sharing and putting out content about the market and houses and building materials. Mm-hmm. And become you become a subject matter expert by by sharing and creating content that's relevant to your area of expertise. And so, I'm here. I am giving these workshops and talking about long form content, short form content, and and focus primarily on video. Mm-hmm. And in reality. Um, one of the things that I was saying you could do with video is you could extract the audio. Yeah, yeah. And then you can extract the audio, and then you could extract a snippet of the audio. And then, so you could take a two-hour pillar content and, and chop it up, and now you, because people, people are like in the audience saying, okay, I get it, I got to put out content, but I don't have time. Or, where do I get the content from? Or, yeah. what do I do? Or, or, how do I do it? And so, we just decided then, and they're like, wouldn't it be great if, if if we could offer as a value add to our customers the ability for them to create content right here in our own studio when mm-hmm. they come in, you know? So in our old space, we used to set up in our conference room and then break it down. We, we ended up ordering a, a, a kit. And, and of course, this the seed was planted by me being a guest at, on other podcasts and realizing, like, Oh, this is all it is. This is all it takes. I could, you know, I, I could, could do it. I could do it. <laughs> so that's kind of what, what, it would, what, you know. So we ordered like a suitcase traveling, you know, podcast kit, and we would break it up and set it down in, in our conference room. And then when we moved into a bigger space, the opportunity uh, presented itself to have a dedicated podcast studio, which is where we're in now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's a, it's an entire um, business model, and. Some people do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, some people—that's all they focus on—is right. is producing shows for companies. And mm-hmm. uh, just, just yesterday, YouTube is, is putting out an offer. They're constantly looking for for content, but now offering individuals, anywhere from five thousand dollars for an individual up to two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand for networks wow. producing content. And like this is. This is a huge... This is, a, is. This is an entire business. Yeah. So but, but my, my interest in it is I don't want young people to miss the opportunity mm-hmm. because it's more than just... If we're having this conversation, there's serial-type uh, shows, uh, documentaries. Right. There, you know, you listen to the end of This American Life or How I Built This, and there's seven or eight people right. that are mentioned. Those are seven right. jobs. Right. So... It's it's an opportunity. Well, well,
1: you and I, I would say, I'll speak to myself, I'm old enough to remember where where you could not self-publish. You know, there wasn't an outlet like we have now to to broadcast. Like, you literally would have to submit to a producer and get his permission or buy-in or kiss his ass to get on a show, to get heard, Yeah. right? And now you can literally record and go publish, on your own and put it out to the masses. Yeah, on any of these platforms. Like that's an incredible freedom that I don't think a lot of people take advantage of as as they should. So for years we as black and brown we've been we've been um, you know, you hear this uh, well the media does this and yeah, the yeah, media yeah. does that. We can we can control the narrative now. This, mm-hmm. well this is one of the few platforms where we can where we can put out our voices and our messages, and that's, that's why it's important for us. Of course, the other thing we preach is differentiation strategy. What makes your agency different? So there are a lot of competitors in our space here in, in, in Fairfield County, but also all over the world. And, and with the Internet, you know, you can, you can hire somebody overseas if you want to. So for us, having the podcast is another differentiator. That uh, other creative agencies aren't aren't doing this. You yeah. Know? Um, and how how can I do it as the CEO? I've built a team. My model has 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 allowed me. You know how do I look at success? Well, I don't have to do everything myself anymore. I can do the things that I want to. I can I can control my time. So this afternoon, I'm going to go speak to these these young men mm-hmm. at this local high school about branding and their personal brands. But Ten years ago, maybe I could I, I couldn't do that because I would have to be working on a project that I was billing a client for. And back then, if I wasn't working, I wasn't making money. But today, I can go do this and live in my purpose. But the team is still here grinding.
0: Yeah. The the where we embrace the gr- <laughs> embrace the grind and the American dream. Yes. So we have. That's that's not the title of the book. We have um, launch your brand the fastest way to supercharge any business. Yes. So this is this is your book. Man. This is the book, and the book here, this book uh, has
1: been a, a, a work. I would say the last three four years. Um, you can jump right into it and 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 really dive into the principles that I cover in the brand new workshops. Which, which are launching your brand, you know, creating your brand story, your brand identity, building an, an online presence, a digital footprint, as I call it, and then driving traffic with a digital marketing yeah. strategy. But in the back of the book is my story, and I take and I take the reader through the journey um, that we we touched on of, of being a part of the Priceline team, getting laid off, and and building the foundations of of what's become PD over the last 14 years. And now, you know, we have 10 full-time employees here. We have employees in Florida as well. We have uh, two locations, headquartered in Connecticut, offices in Florida, and got this podcast, you know, and living my dream, man. you know, going from completely, you know, faced with an uncertain future mm-hmm. to embracing that uncertainty and building upon it you know and, and actually trusting that i'm right where i should be and and uh and, and you know so grateful for the team we have and and being able to watch them develop and grow and become leaders themselves like i want every single one of my team members to become great leaders you know like, yeah. so i'm building an army of leaders you know, and that's
0: that's that gives me even
1: more purpose.
0: Miss Ramon, thank you so very much. I certainly do appreciate it. I think it's important for um, for young people, people in business, mm-hmm. to sometimes people have to see something for, you know six times right. before they actually get. Oh, this is. Oh, he's just not doing this because he wants to. You know, he wants to get my money. No, mm-hmm. this is. This is why mm-hmm. I talk about podcasts. This is why I talk about branding. This is why mm-hmm. I talk about getting your message out there because the it's powerful. I mean, you've had some some incredible people come through and share their stories mm-hmm. here. You're giving them a platform, and, and now you're going and, and sharing your message with someone else. So it gives them the idea of what's possible. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. I certainly do appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on your show. We're here in the studio. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we <laughs>